Thank you so much, Steve, uh, for your ministry in the church and for that prayer. I tried to pray something like that last week, but uh, Steve prayed better and longer, so that was beautiful. I was moved by that, so thank you, Steve. Eugene Peterson uh, was the author of The Message, the paraphrase of the scriptures, and uh, he wrote this. Every time I move to a new community, I find a church close by and join it, committing myself to worship and work with that company of God's people. I've never been anything other than disappointed. Everyone turns out to be biblical through and through. Murmurers, complainers, the faithless, the inconstant, those plagued with doubt and riddled with sin, boring moralizers, glamorous, glamorous secularizers. Well, how do you live with such people? <laughs> then, again, then again, maybe we are such people and don't even know it. Or maybe we are such people and we know it. But how do you live with such people? I think that concerns us today in view of this fruit of the Spirit that we're going to be talking about, which is peace. And Paul is primarily concerned with peace among the people of God within his church. So let's look at uh, the text that we've been looking at all summer long, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. We've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's our fruit today. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Again, peace here primarily concerns peace within the community. However, in order to have that, you have to understand what the basis for that peace is, and that's peace for us in connection with God. First of all, peace with God, and then peace from God. Let's look, first of all, at peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is peace with God absence of hostilities. We were enemies of God. Now we are worshipers of God and Christ has turned all that around for us. So we have peace with God, absence of hostilities. But not only that, we have peace from God, which is um, uh, more along the lines of human wholeness or human well-being. And as it works out, it works out to be human wholeness and well-being in the community. So look at this, Galatians chapter 1 verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul's introduction to the book of Galatians, uh, echoed uh, so often in so many of his other letters. So we have peace from God, which is human wholeness and uh, a well-being. So we have this relationship with God, which is not only that we don't have hostilities anymore, we have this uh, growth in a relationship with God. We have that context. We have a wholeness and a growing wholeness and a, and a human dignity and a human beauty and, and, and a human purpose all in the relationship with God. We have that sort of peace, a human wholeness in relationship with God. So that's the foundation then, peace with God and peace from God for now for us to be having peace in connection with others, especially others in the church. Uh, this is what Paul wants. We see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 13. Be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. 
Now, Paul in the church of uh, Galatia, in the, the, he's worried about these people because of some of the issues that they're going through might bite and devour one another. So instead, of course, he wants them to be at peace with one another. And in order for that to happen, they and we have to walk by the Spirit. We've already seen that. That's the key to the fruits of the Spirit. It is God who produces these fruits in us, but we make ourselves available to God as we walk by the Spirit. That is, in relationship to God, as the Spirit inspires us, challenges us, and as we open to the work of the Spirit in our lives, walking by the Spirit, then we make ourselves available to God, and he produces fruit in us so that we bear fruit. We bear, for example, in this case, the fruit of peace. So the beginning of it all is peace with God. So that means because we have peace with God solely on the basis of what Christ has done for us, not on any merit of our own, we have no moral goodness to bring to this relationship. That means that we have no moral high ground to stand on so that we can look down at anyone else. The only high ground that we have to stand on is the, is the hill on the top of Calvary's hill which makes it certain that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. So we have peace with God. We have no moral high ground to stand on. Then we also have peace from God. So everything we need, we have in this relationship with God. We have this wholeness. We have this well-being. We have this growing wholeness. We have this growing well-being so that we don't need that to come from others. It means that we don't need anyone to be anything other than what they are. That's a key to human relationships. If you have peace with God, if you have peace from God, you don't need anyone to be anything other than what they are. That's not what we think sometimes, right? I need this person to change. I need these people to be different from what they are. You don't. You need the Lord. And if you have the Lord, you have what you need. Now, again, Paul is primarily concerned in the book of Galatians about relationships among the community, but he's also wanting all of us to have peace with the whole world if possible. He says in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 8, insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. So we apply some of these principles to try to be at peace with all people, but we have to admit, sometimes it's not possible. Insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Well, it also depends on other people as well, right? So sometimes it's possible, sometimes it's not possible. So Christ died to bring us to to God, to unite us with God, but also to unite us with one another. We've looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17 a few times in recent weeks. We're going to look at it one more time. Look at this. For he himself, that is Christ, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, here he's talking about Jews and Gentiles, which then means all of us, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those 
who were near. So Christ died to unite us, and we're all different people. Oftentimes we come from different ethnicities, different cultures, we're different ages, we have different things, different ways of thinking about things, different preferences, and that's important. We all bring something together, and then Christ unites us. But it's important to remember that Christ did not die for our preferences, He did not die for our cultural preferences, our individual preferences, our generational preferences, whatever those preferences may be. He did not die for those. He died so that he would bring together people of all sorts of different preferences and unite them together in one body, in one church. There is one Lord, Jesus Christ, who reflects his glory out into the world by bringing people of different tribes and different cultures and different preferences all together. And think about this. You know, we get really, really wrapped up in sort of what we prefer, what we like, what we believe maybe about certain things. But maybe those preferences aren't eternal. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever changed your preferences? I mean, did you, did you ever learn something through the years? You think you're through learning? That you've arrived at some place where this is the eternal truth and this is eternally the way I am, this is always eternally the way I'm going to believe about every single thing? Probably not. I used to hate oysters. Now I love oysters. I used to hate reading. Now I love reading. I used to love fishing. I still love fishing. (laughs) So some things don't change, but some things might change. Think about your political preferences. Is it possible for you to learn something from anyone else, from anyone else's preferences? Maybe. So it is faith in Christ, according to the New Testament, that defines us more than anything else more than our individual preferences, more than our cultural preferences, more than our ethnicities, more than our generational experiences. It is faith in Christ that defines us. Now, our culture encourages us to find your voice. That's what we hear all the time. Find your voice. And this is an important aspect. Yeah, find your voice. Find out who you are. Find out from a biblical perspective, who God made you to be, how he's gifted you, and how you can express yourself in the world. That's, that's an important aspect of, uh, of biblical discipleship. Following Jesus, yes, find your voice. But remember that the whole idea in the church is to find your voice so that your voice can harmonize with others. And then we then, with one voice, are reflecting out the multifaceted splendor of God into uh, into the world. So we want to harmonize with our voices. So um, let me go back. I think uh, I wanted to talk about a little bit about Romans 14 and 15, first of all. So this is a hugely important section in the book of Romans. This is where it's all heading. And uh, what Paul wants to do is show here, here's, here's the most extensive text that we have in the entire New Testament on how to live at peace with one another. It's a little bit confusing to us because he's talking about issues that don't really relate to us. Nevertheless, it's an important text for us to understand. And the, the culmination of it is Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 7. 
5 through 7. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is where the whole book of Romans is heading. Uh, We all get wrapped up as well we should for a lot of reasons with Romans 1 through 8 and all the theology that is there. But that, that is laying the theological groundwork so that Paul can say this. So that you're supposed to come together with one voice to glorify our God and Father. So what they're, what they're wrapped up around in Romans is food and days, issues that don't really make that much sense to us today. What kind of food to eat? Is it okay to eat this food or not this food? And what about these celebratory days? Should we honor this day or that day or how should we celebrate it? And Paul says this regarding those particular things in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's saying that these these matters concerning food and days are trivial in light of the larger issues of the kingdom of God. So therefore, we have to ask ourselves, if we are engaging in some sort of dispute with someone and and there's a possible division and uh, this could bring us apart or tear us apart, we have to ask ourselves, really, what is the issue here? And is it that big a deal? Is this a big deal? That's what Paul is saying so, in so many words in Romans chapters 14 and 15. He's saying these things are really not that big a deal in light of the larger issues of the kingdom of God. So is this a big deal? It may be a big deal. Really, you think things through biblically, personally, and everything. It may be a big deal. But then again, when you really look at it objectively, it may not be a big deal. It is very easy for us to get sucked in emotionally to a dispute and then sort of to a tribal dispute and feel things very deeply and very emotionally and it's us against them. But if you look at it it objectively, you might come to the conclusion, really, it's not that big a deal. And what we've done is we've made a personal issue out of something that isn't that big a deal. So in retrospect, I look back on some of the things that I really cared about earlier in life, and some of those things have just uh, faded over time. I don't really care about those things so much anymore. Uh, They loomed large at a certain point in my life, but now they loom large no longer, especially as I've grown just a little bit in Christ, and I've appreciated the larger issues in the kingdom of God. So one of the things we do at the church here as elders, if someone's going to be a prospective elder or a prospective pastor or a prospective director, we have them do two things. We have them look at our doctrinal statement and we say, do you agree with this? And if they agree with the doctrinal statement, they pass the first test. Then we ask them another series of questions. We call it a theological inventory. And these are what we consider secondary issues, but they can often be divisive issues. So we want to know, what's your view, if you have any view, on these particular issues? And so they answer those questions. And this is not a yes or no, pass or fail type of a question. This is, we want to know how you feel about these issues, especially, are these divisive issues for you? 
Do you feel so strongly about these issues, which we consider secondary, that you're going to campaign in the church, that you're going to be divisive about it, that you're going to think you're going to raise this up to be a central issue? So that's what we, we, we want to do with these theological questions that we ask them. And then if they're, you know, they're not divisive about any of these things, well, then we go to the next step. But these are important questions that we, uh, that we ask. So with my men's group, uh, since the pandemic started, I've sort of tried to wonder what to do with it. I've had to change things up a little bit. So one of the things I've decided to do is whatever text I'm going to be preaching, I'm taking some of those themes and I'm running the themes by the men and asking for their opinions, asking for what they think. So I'm about to preach on this particular topic. I'm about to preach on peace. And about a week and a half ago, I said to the guys, okay, I'm going to do this. And so we decided to have a discussion about uh, various topics that might be a little bit controversial. We just debated some theological topics and we went into politics a little bit. We talked about a controversial theological topic, Arminianism versus Calvinism. And opinions were expressed, counter-opinions were expressed. We talked about politics a little bit. We even talked about the 2020 election. Opinions were expressed, counter-opinions were expressed. And at the end of the day, everyone walked out of there alive. (laughs) Talk to Joel sometime about politics. Very interesting conversation you could have with Joel. He's not going to be talking about it today, right? You promised me, Joel, no politics today, right? Different story he's going to tell. So first, is it a big deal? Second of all, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. What's Paul saying here? He's saying you can't see into someone's heart. You don't know what's motivating someone. That's God's business. God's going to bring that to light at the proper time, especially at the end. Until that time, you can't really judge someone's heart. You don't really know what's happening in the heart. That person might even not know himself or herself because the heart is complicated you may to a certain extent be able to judge actions and say, that is a good action, that's not a good action, but you can't look into someone's heart and say, I know what's motivating that. I know why you're doing that. I know why you hold this particular position. And usually we are ascribing sinister motives to people. So what's the point here? Don't assume motives. Don't assume motives. Now, the pandemic has been a not-so-wonderful opportunity for pretty much everyone to assume motives, to look at government officials and to say, I know why you're doing that, or to look at individuals, I know why you're doing that. So I look out on my congregation here this morning, and I see that some people are wearing masks, and I see that most people, it looks like to me, are not wearing masks. You know what? I don't know why you're doing that. You didn't tell me. I I can't see into your heart. So let's give people a break. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt. I was going for a walk the other day. I came to the crosswalk and I was about to push the button across the street, but uh, another woman, uh, not another woman, a woman, right? I'm a man. (laughs) 
another person, a woman, pushed the button before me, but before she did, she takes out this tissue and she thoroughly wipes the button in order to cross the street. And I'm thinking to myself, does she take out a fresh tissue every time she crosses the street to do this? And I'm thinking to myself, initially, you know, she doesn't need to do this because, uh, you know, the, the, the disease spreads not by surfaces, but it's an airborne disease. And uh, I'm not going to go up and talk to her about it, but that's my initial thought. And then, of course, I have to think about what I'm preaching this week. <laughs> and I think, you know, I don't know why she's doing that. It's not for me to judge why she's doing that. I don't know what's in her heart, right? So, therefore, because you cannot assume motives, give people the benefit of the doubt. Especially in the church, give people the benefit of the doubt. Assume that their hearts are right before God unless proven otherwise. Especially in the church, Give the elders the benefit of the doubt. Give the worship leader the benefit of the doubt. Especially give the preacher the benefit of the doubt. Assume that people's hearts are right before God unless proven otherwise. So Eugene Peterson, he says that when he moves to a new community, he joins a church, and what does he see? Murmurers, complainers, the faithless, the inconstant, those plagued with doubt and riddled with sin, boring moralizers, glamorous secularizers. But he also says this. Every once in a while, a shaft of blazing beauty seems to break out of nowhere and illuminate these companies. And then I see what my sin-dulled eyes had missed, word of God-shaped, Holy Spirit created lives of sacrificial humility, incredible courage, heroic virtue, holy praise, joyful suffering, constant prayer, persevering obedience. I see Christ. More than every once in a while in this community, I see shafts of blazing beauty. Two weeks ago, I saw Joey Alexander stand up here and tell you how Christ had saved him from the streets and from addiction. That very same Sunday, I saw six college students standing up before you who had committed their lives to Christ and had committed their summers to Christ in order to serve people in this church as part of our Summer Leadership Institute. Last week, when we opened up our service to congregational sharing, I saw many of you come forward, maybe 20 or so come forward to share with us how you had experienced the joy of the Lord, often in the middle of very difficult circumstances. In the last month or so, we've lost two of our great, our great saints. First of all, Don Burgess, who devoted his whole life, well, not his whole life, but a lot of his life, to living among this uh, tribe in Mexico and translating the scriptures from the original language into the language of this tribe. And then we lost Bob Thompson, a great saint who lived this amazing multifaceted life in devotion to Christ and was a mentor to so many of us. I see shafts of blazing beauty everywhere. I see Christ. How about you?
Well, I'm going to invite Joel Dodson to come up and uh, share his story with us, or at least part of his story. And this uh, concerns uh, peace. This concerns peace with God and the peace with God that, and from God that Joel experienced that helped him then to extend peace to someone else and to uh, live in peace with another person. This is a shaft of blazing beauty. Come on up, Joel. And Andrea is with him, his wife. Good morning. Uh, I'm Joel Dodson, and uh, as Scott said, that's uh, the lovely lady escorting me is Andrea, my wife. Uh, we've been at PBC since 1996. Um, after college, uh, Andrea served for several years as a director in the uh, children's ministry as well. Whenever I come up here, I always have to, to give a shout out to children's ministry. When you get tired of those uh, biblical, <clears throat> excuse me, those biblical adults. Uh, spend some time with, uh, you know, two, three, and four-year-olds, and that'll, uh, that'll warm your heart. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I did promise not to discuss politics, but uh, one thing I will point out is that when we, when we have those discussions, we're usually full with um, super burritos of uh, carne asada and chicken Oaxaca, and so that, uh, you know, if you're going to discuss controversial topics, you might want to, you know, hit the taqueria first. Um, though it sounds like this coming Tuesday we might be discussing uh, gender identity with uh, Scott uh, crossing the street with another woman. Uh, <laughs> so, anyway. Uh, so, so Friday, July, uh, sorry, Friday, May, May 5th, 2017, I was driving home from work, uh, southbound 101, approaching San Antonio, stop-and-go traffic. I'm sure many here have experienced that. And uh, I get rear-ended. Uh, it's a little bit as a surprise, and um, you know, it seems it's, it's traffic's moving slow. So we just pull over to the side of the freeway. There's a there's an empty lane, and so forth. I thought, I thought it would be fine. I'm squatting down between my car and uh, the car that had had rear-ended me it was parked behind me. I'm I'm checking for damage, and I hear this this uh, screeching tires and um, the sound of uh, crashing cars, and it turned out a uh, the driver of a pickup had, had veered out of traffic and uh, hit the car that was, that was behind mine and pushed it into my car and, and crushed me in between the two. It was, um, it was a shock. Uh, I think I was in shock. I was unable to, to yell for help or anything, but a lot of people started coming around. Somebody called 911. Uh, ambulance shows up, and um, they're getting me in the ambulance. I was able to give the paramedic Andrea's phone number. They call Andre, and I, I hear him talking to her and saying that they're going to take me to Stanford. And I'm thinking, okay, everything's fine now. Um, I'm, in the, I'm in the ambulance. I'll, I'll be fine. Uh, turns out uh, it, was, it was a lot more serious than I had realized. My abdomen had been split open from the, from the chest down to the pelvis. Um, my lungs were, were punctured and collapsed. Um, my uh, right shoulder, uh, my left arm, uh, all of, almost all of my ribs had been fractured. I was, I was in pretty bad shape. Uh, Saturday was, was kind of touch and go. Uh, so it was Friday afternoon was the accident. Saturday was touch and go. 
the doctors weren't sure I was going to pull through. And Andrea is faced with the, uh, with the thoughts of uh, losing her husband and um, our two boys, uh, who were uh, at that point 9 and 11, uh, Ian and Avery. And um, yeah, the, the two of them, you know, growing up with, without a dad. And uh, I, I, I just simply can't imagine uh, the emotional trauma that, that she was facing at those times. It was, um, yeah, it was hard. Uh, I did uh, spend four weeks in the hospital, another four weeks of rehab, finally get home beginning of July, and uh, it's time to start healing, putting our lives back together, seeing what, it's, what is it going to be like. Um, we wanted to talk to the driver of the, of the truck. We just wanted to, to meet with him face-to-face. We wanted him to know who we are. Uh, we want to know who he is. And um, that just wasn't happening. Uh, he was refusing to, to engage with us, refusing to answer any questions, um, being evasive. It was, it was very frustrating and uh, resulted in, a, in kind of a prolonged uh, legal issue, which, which no, nobody really wanted. Um, eventually, after a year, year and a half or so, uh, he, we find that he does want to meet with us but also found that he had he'd sold his house in Mountain View and moved to Florida. And I was, I was angry, very, very angry. I thought, he had, um, I thought he was running away. I thought he had just assumed the worst uh, of intentions of us. He, he didn't give us a chance. Uh, it, was, it was incredibly frustrating. Uh, so Tuesday, Tuesday evening when we were driving, when Scott was giving me a ride back from, uh, from men's group, I was telling Scott, I just want to meet this guy tomorrow and I want to tell him when you close your eyes and you're, and you're in total darkness I want you to remember I want you to think of me and remember what you did what you did to me and what you've done to my family I was, I was bitter I was angry uh, very much so Wednesday comes and, and, we, and we meet we didn't meet initially face to face there's a, a third party that's going between so forth but, but through that morning I was getting a sense of um, somewhat of, a, of relief the um, the anger and the bitterness, the frustration was, was fading and it was, it was being replaced by compassion and understanding. And we're realizing that, that he was scared, uh, the, the driver of the truck. He was getting some bad advice and just didn't know what to do and he was, he was afraid. And uh, he just he felt terrible about what had happened. Um, you know, he, he learned something about us and just, you know, he just felt terrible. So... By the uh, early afternoon, we had, you know, everything was resolved, and we, we said we'd really like to, to meet him, and, and he agreed he'd like to meet us as well. So we got to, we got to meet face-to-face, and when we did, I think um, you know, our hearts had been, had been, let's say, miraculously changed, and I was able to, to reach out, shake his hand, and, and just and thank him for, for coming back and for meeting with us, for talking with us. And I was able to, to truly say, I, f- I forgive you. you know, we forgive you. And you know, it's, you know, it, it was a blessing to us. Um, I was able to tell him, I, I want you to go back to, to Florida and be at peace. Um, be at peace knowing that, that we forgive you completely. And, and we want you, to, you know, to, to live in peace. And then uh, Andrea gave him a hug and expressed the, the same sentiments 
uh, I think, you know, God had been working in both of our hearts. And it was, um, it was just a, it was a very profound experience. I'd never experienced such, such peace and, and true forgiveness. Um, so that's, a, you know, the, that story is, it's not about what great Christians we are. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty biblical myself, um, very much so. Um, and, uh, it's really a it's really a, a story of of the the God's grace in forgiveness. Um, it's God giving us a, a, a gift of forgiveness and understanding the the depth and the meaningness of true forgiveness and the freedom and the peace found in that. It's not something that that I could have done. It's not my nature. Um, I'm I'm more about ruminating, but um, it's you know through God. Um, we we did achieve that that ability, and that's that's really the beginning of a of a process. Uh, through that peace, we are uh, again we have the the freedom to to start to rebuild. Um, you know, our lives have have changed completely. You know, in you know for me in very obvious ways, uh, but you know for Andrea in, in very um, you know in very real ways as well. You know, she's now. You know, in in a large part, taking care of three three people, not just not just two surly teenagers, but um, you know a surly fifty uh, something year old at times as well. And so you know she's got a a big burden uh, to to carry as well. And it's it's very difficult and can can be very difficult sometimes. And you know, so it's having that having that peace, being able to not dwell on on bitterness. Is is a profound gift from God, um, and so the the story of you know, the story of forgiveness uh, is something that that we can always fall back on, and and remember and, and be thankful for. And, uh, thank you.